Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, today's a good day. So excited to see you all here. It's exciting. Sad that I can't see you guys at home, but uh, it's a good day still at home. Welcome here. You've got to know, uh, those of you that are at home, um, we, we take a few minutes before the service starts to pray, just for the morning, pray for everybody that's going to be coming. And uh, we pray specifically for you all that are at home, that you would as experience the presence of Christ just the same as people who are gathered here in this building. Because God's presence is not limited to just this physical space. And so we pray for you often, those of you that are at home. Well, it's a good day. It's a good day. You know, um, back in 2011, uh, there was an end times prediction. I don't know if you remember this or not. That was 10 years ago now. Uh, And the end times prediction said that Jesus was going to return that year. Uh, The prediction was that he would rapture his church. That means take his church up into heaven in May of that year, and then by October of that year, the whole world would come to an end. Now, the people who believed this prediction sold their homes, emptied out their bank accounts, and they used the money to purchase advertising and to fund initiatives to get the gospel out to as many people as possible before the end of the world. They had a, they had a timeline. The time was short, and they spent everything they could to tell as many people as possible about Jesus Christ before the end came. Well, now it's 10 years later, and we know now that that didn't happen in 2011. And the people who followed this, uh, what turned out to be a false prediction, probably felt a little bit foolish. And while the world could probably look down their noses collectively at this group of people, something about what they did was amazingly beautiful. Amazingly beautiful. When they heard that Jesus was returning imminently, that he was coming soon, like within the year, they sold everything they had. They launched this gospel-sharing campaign to get the good news about Jesus out to as many people as possible. They were motivated, and they pressed in hard to get the message of the gospel out there. Now, as wrong as that, that prediction turned out to be, the thought that Jesus was returning very soon spurred them on to immediate and sacrificial action. And they lived, at least for for that short piece of time, with the belief that Jesus was on his way and that every moment counted for eternity and it showed in their actions. Now, in contrast, there are millions of Christians who are living every day, right now, every day of their life, with the belief that Jesus' return is far off. And we have all the time in the world to share the gospel. And that shows as well. The overall theme of the Bible can be broken down in three main events. The first is the original sin. It starts at the beginning of the Bible, right in the very beginning. The original sin, the fall of mankind, mankind falling away from friendship with God, no longer walking like in the garden with God hand in hand. And over half of the Bible shares what this struggle with sin looks like. 
You can look throughout the, the whole of the Old Testament and see this struggle, this regular, daily, ongoing, generational struggle with sin. The idea of being separated from God and trying, trying desperately to get to know who God is. That's the first moment, the fall. The second moment is Jesus' first coming. He comes as our Savior who dies on the cross for everyone so that we can have forgiveness of that sin, so that we can be freed from that brokenness, from that torment. We can be freed from that separation from God, and we can step once again into a relationship with the God who created us, our Creator, the wonderful and majestic Heavenly Father. That's the second moment. And half of the Bible focuses in on that second moment. What does it look like now to walk with God, to keep in step with his spirit, to live in this new kingdom, in this new reality of having a relationship with our Heavenly Father? And the last moment is Jesus's second coming as our King, who will rule and reign for all of eternity, receiving us into heaven, taking us, his bride, into heaven, to spend eternity with him forever. Those three moments, the fall, Jesus' first coming, and Jesus' second coming, kind of just encapsulate the entire of the Bible, the entire of our history, everything that we know. We find ourselves right now somewhere between these last two moments, Jesus' first coming as Savior, and Jesus' second coming as King. And that's the big topic of Second Thessalonians which we're going to take a look at today. The book, or the epistle, written by the Apostle Paul, 2 Thessalonians. Now, last week we looked at 1 Thessalonians, and these two books together, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, uh, speak, both speak about the, the perusia, or the second coming of Jesus Christ as King. In fact, these, these two books are incredibly similar. They have the same exact topics written in them. There's three main topics in both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and those topics are the persecution of the believers in Thessalonica, the perusia of Jesus Christ, and the procrastination of some of the people who lived during that time. Persecution, perusia, and procrastination. How do you like that? I don't do a whole lot of alliteration, but I thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> it's good. Now, the big difference between Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians and his second letter to the Thessalonians was that Paul defended his position as the spiritual leader to the Thessalonians in the first letter. There, there was a reason. There were people that were speaking poorly about Paul, and so Paul had to say, listen, it doesn't matter what you've heard about me. You've seen me. You know me. I am Paul, the one that's been with you, who's spoken before you and done all this amazing stuff. So he, he, he talks about himself quite a bit in the first letter, but he doesn't do that so much in the second letter. By the time he writes the second letter, he figures that's probably not something he needs to spend much time around. It sounds like Paul sent out a first letter, which was kind of a nice letter. If you read the book of, book of 1 Thessalonians, it was, a, it was an encouraging letter. It was a nice letter. It was, it was friendly. He kind of was flowery a little bit. But by the time that Paul sends around the book of 2 Thessalonians, he's not so flowery anymore. He's a little more direct, a little more blunt, a little more to the point. So we need to look a little bit, as we've learned a little bit about 1 Thessalonians, let's look at 2 Thessalonians, which speaks, like I said, about the same exact topics, but in, more, in a more blunt way. So let's look at the persecution, the perusia, 
and the procrastination of 2 Thessalonians. Now, this letter breaks down quite nicely. The first chapter speaks about the persecution, the second chapter about the Perusia, and the third chapter about the procrastination. So it's pretty easy to follow along. In the first chapter, Paul speaks about having hope within the persecution that they were experiencing. Paul starts off by commending the Thessalonians, and he says in 2 Thessalonians, that's going to get long, right? Thessalonians. It's hard to say that word a lot of times. If you say it in your head a bunch, it comes out perfectly. If you say it out loud a bunch, it's really difficult. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. This sounds very similar to how Paul starts 1 Thessalonians. If you remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, here's what Paul says. Paul thanks God for what the, what the Thessalonians are experiencing as their endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We spoke about that last week. That endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that endurance, that perseverance, that faith they were experiencing was key, was key to, to them being able to face the persecution and the trials that they were in the middle of. Now, we often talk about having victory in life. You've heard this lots of times before, that God has made you an overcomer. God has given you victory already in Jesus Christ. You are able to hold fast to the triumph of Jesus Christ. We talk about that lots. But will we see all of our victories in this life? Will we see all of our victories in this life? If you didn't know the answer already, the answer is no. We will not see all of our victories in this life. Hopefully we will see some. Hopefully we will see many, but we will not see all of them. And Paul's words to the Thessalonians here acknowledge that the trials and the persecutions that they are facing at this very moment may not end in victories here on earth. And his words to us would be the same. The trials and the persecutions that you're facing right now may not end in victory here on earth. They may not end with a good conclusion here in the next week or two or in the next month or the next year. You may never see the trial or the persecution that you're facing right now come to a nice, happy conclusion. But Paul points them and us to a far greater truth. And this is what Paul says. He says, God is just. God is just. He's faithful. He will pay back trouble for those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Paul uses the persecutions that are being experienced by the Thessalonians to point the people to the perusia, the return of Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus will enter into the presence of Jesus, the presence of our Lord, in majesty and in power. Those who do not believe, well, later in chapter 2, Paul tells us what happens to those who do not believe. He says they will perish, but not unfairly. Let's look at this for a moment. In chapter 2, he points back to what he's talking about in chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, 
They perish, those people who do not believe, they perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Folks, listen. There is a reality here. There is a reality here that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And it sounds unfair to say that God sends some to hell and sends some to heaven. And you would be right. It does sound unfair. And it is unfair that God would send some to hell and some to heaven. Because God doesn't do that. God doesn't send people to either place. He invites us to spend eternity with him in heaven. The simple truth is this. John 3.16 says this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. God doesn't send you to hell. For many, the ones that end up going that direction choose it. They choose it. See, if you believe in the Bible and you believe what the Bible says, you need to understand some things. Those who trust in Jesus for salvation, those who receive the invitation from God, who actually take it in, who say, okay, God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, for me so that I could have eternal life. Those who trust in Jesus will spend eternity in the presence of Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, you will spend eternity in the presence of Jesus. Those who refuse the invitation from God, those who refuse to trust in Jesus, those who say, I want nothing to do with Jesus, spend eternity apart from Jesus. If you choose to spend eternity, if you choose to have nothing to do with Jesus, then you will have nothing to do with Jesus. We call that place that is apart from Jesus, the place where there's darkness, the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal torment. We call that place hell. In heaven, those who choose to receive the invitation from God to trust in Jesus get to spend eternity with Jesus. In hell, those who choose to reject that invitation and have nothing to do with Jesus have nothing to do with Jesus for all of eternity. See, there is only one way to get to heaven, and that is by trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone. Because heaven is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about experiencing eternity in the presence of the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So it may seem unfair, but it's our choice. We get to choose. Will we spend eternity with Jesus or without Jesus? So the question for each of us is, have you put your trust in Jesus? Do you know you can do that right now? You can trust in Jesus even right now. If you've already done that before, you don't need to keep doing it again and again as as far as an initial, initial time of putting your trust in Jesus. But if you've never put your trust in Jesus before, right now you can just close your eyes and you can say, Jesus, I trust in you. Come and save me. Come and save me. Now, if you do so, if you do that, if you trust in Jesus, you are saved. Jesus right now is preparing a place for you in heaven to spend eternity with him. Now, for the Thessalonians, the truth of their final destination, that their final destination is eternity in heaven with Jesus, that truth fills them with great hope 
even in their current situation where they are going through trials and persecution, they have hope because they know that that is not the end of the story. Even if they do not see victory here on earth, they will see victory for all of eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. Paul closes off this section, this chapter, and he does it with each of the chapters. There's actually three prayers from Paul throughout the book of Thessalonians at the end of each one of these sections. And he closes off this first section with a prayer for the Thessalonians that in this trial, God will, ac- will accomplish his will in his people and through his people so that his son Jesus Christ would be glorified. In the first chapter, Paul uses the return of Jesus to inspire hope and faithfulness for the persecuted Christians. And now in the second chapter, Paul brings clarity around the perusia, which we, we, he spoke about in, the, in 1 Thessalonians as well. Now, if you look back at 1 Thessalonians, it's really important as we're looking at the perusia, the second coming of Jesus Christ, to look back at 1 Thessalonians as well. Because in 1 Thessalonians, the people there had an erroneous belief that if they died before Jesus came back again, that they would be lost. Only the people that were alive at Jesus' second coming would get to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. That's what they believed. So Paul writes the book of 1 Thessalonians, especially chapter 5, to be able to point them to what the truth is, because they had an erroneous thought here. And if you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard the pastor talk about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. At some point, he would have said something about the dead in Christ rising first, and then those of us who are left behind meeting Jesus in the air. And that's out of 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul is trying to get across the point to the Thessalonian people that even if you die, that doesn't stop you from experiencing eternal life with Jesus. You get to come with Jesus. When Jesus returns again, all those who have already died in Jesus will be raised to life and go to heaven with Jesus. So that's the erroneous thought that Paul was speaking about in the first letter to the Thessalonians. In the second letter, Paul addresses another problem that the Thessalonian people had about the second coming of Jesus Christ. See, somebody was writing letters to the Thessalonian church claiming to be Paul. So they would say, this letter is coming from Paul, and they would say, Jesus has already returned, you missed it. That's what the letter said, right? They were writing to the Thessalonians, say, Jesus has already come back again, and somehow you missed out, you didn't get it. So the first problem in 1 Thessalonians was that if they died, they would miss out. The second problem is that Jesus Jesus has already come, so you missed out. Talk about insignificance and abandonment issues. My goodness, these Thessalonians were incredibly messed up. They were incredibly messed up. But you know what? When people are afraid and under persecution, they are susceptible to conspiracy theories. And this was a big one. What would you do if you had heard from someone you trusted, if I had sent you a letter, say, say let's pretend you trust me, okay? And I write you a letter and I say, dear so-and-so, Jesus has already shown up. It was awesome. You missed the party. What would you do? What would you do? You, you might get a little concerned, right? And this is what happens with these people. Paul just simply says, hey, look, you guys. Yes, Jesus is coming back, 
like a thief in the night, right? In the middle of the night, you, you, you won't even know he's coming. He's going to come, and it's going to be sudden, and it's going to happen. But it is not going to be quiet. It's not going to be quiet. You're not going to miss out. Everyone is going to know that Jesus has come back. He says, if, he, Paul didn't say this, but Jesus says this. In Mark chapter 13, um, Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, hey, when's the end of the world going to happen? Go read Mark 13 later. It's an amazing chapter. We're going to actually read a little bit of it in the sermon today. But Jesus says in Mark 13 to his disciples that there are going to be huge world-shaking events that happen when he comes back again. He says, look, no one's going to be able to miss my second coming. No one's going to be able to miss that I come back again. Though many will not experience this moment with hope, everyone, everyone is going to be aware that Jesus has returned. Jesus' point in Mark 13 and, and Paul's point in both of the books of Thessalonians is to be on guard, be, be ready, be prepared, be ready for the return of Jesus. And make no mistake, it's not going to be quiet. Everyone will know that Jesus has returned. Now, Paul's point in chapter 2 is not to give us these great, grand, theological thoughts on the return of Jesus. Rather, Paul is just simply trying to point the people to Jesus and the faithfulness of God in overcoming the evil in the world. What you're going through right now is going to be overcome. That's his theme from first, the first chapter and into the second chapter. The evil will be overcome and Jesus will return. Paul ends this section with another prayer that the Thessalonians might stand firm and take hold of the truth. The return of Jesus should not inspire fear for those who love him. It should instead inspire hope and confidence in the faithfulness of God. So Paul uses this second chapter to create clarity around the perusia. And then Paul comes to the final chapter of this letter, Paul's challenge to the procrastinators, the passive and the parked. I had a lot of P words. It was really fun. The NIV calls these people, people who are idle, idle, I-D-L-E, idle. The King James has a great way of referring to these people. The King James version of the Bible says, these are people who walketh disorderly. Isn't that a good way of saying it? Walketh disorderly. The amplified version of the Bible calls these people shirkers. I like that one too. Shirkers. These are people who are putting off what God has called them to do. Procrastinators, shirkers, those who walketh disorderly, people who are not doing what God has called them to do. They seemed even to not work for their food. They seemed to laze around and hope everybody else was going to take care of them. They were sponging off of the other believers in the church. They had no vision. They had no purpose. They had nothing. Now, the reason for this idleness, we presume, is because it was connected to the idea that they had heard that Jesus had already returned. Jesus has already come. You missed it. So these people are thinking to themselves, presumably, why bother? Why do anything anymore? If Jesus has already come and we've missed it, that was all we'd been living for, there's nothing left to do. So beyond just being procrastinators, these folks were discouraged and done. 
Now, unlike those Christians back in 2011 who sold everything and tried to advance the gospel because of their belief that Jesus' return was imminent, these believers in Thessalonica were just done doing anything. And Paul calls them back and he says, look, okay, I've already told you that Jesus hasn't come yet. Okay, he's still on his way. You need to be alert. You need to be ready. You need to be watchful. And you should probably do what I do. This is what Paul says. Do what I did. Do what you've seen me do. Remember when I came to visit you. I didn't take a wage from you. I preached and I served and I paid my own way and I fed myself and I did all the stuff that I needed to do so that I wasn't a burden to you. I didn't stop one moment. In fact, he even points us to Jesus. We see the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus was always a servant. Though he could have been served, he was always a servant. But some see, and this is not just the Thessalonians, this is today. Some see Jesus' return as a reason to shut down. Whether it's imminent or far off, some have stopped doing anything and they just sit idle. But this is not what Jesus wants to inspire us to. Jesus' return, not the false one that didn't happen or not the one that the Thessalonians thought happened, but the true one that is still on its way is reason not to shut down, but to press forward, to get on mission with Jesus, to ramp things up, to go out there and tell everyone who will listen about the good news of Jesus Christ. See, whether his return is soon or whether his return is far off, our mission is the same, to tell everyone about the good news of Jesus Christ. And sadly, not everyone does this. In Thessalonica, there were some who were idle because they thought Jesus had already returned. And here today, I think there's a different reason why people are idle. I think it's not because they, we think that Jesus has already returned, but we're starting to get tired of waiting. Today, we put off telling the good news to someone till tomorrow, what we should be sharing today. Because after all, we feel like maybe we have all the time in the world. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus said he was coming back again. Maybe it's going to be another 2,000 years before he comes back. We've got so much time. We've got so much time to tell. I don't need to talk to my friend or my coworker or my family member. I need, I need to tell them about Jesus because I probably have an opportunity next week or the week after. I just need to wait till the opportunity is right, maybe a year or two or ten from now, because I have all the time in the world. I wonder, have we become used to Jesus not coming back? Have we settled? Have we settled and become idle because we believe that we have so much time? Have we let these 2,000 years remove our urgency for sharing the gospel? I wonder if we become more idle than even the Thessalonians. Now, I'm not going to tell you that Jesus is going to come back this week. I would not dare to make any kind of prediction like that. There are some weeks I pray that he would come back right away. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, this weekend's going to be hard. If you could come back right now, I'd be good to go. But I can't tell you that he's going to come back in a week or a month or a year. I don't know. But what if he was? What if he was? What if you knew you have three months? Three months left. 
The focus in Scripture is on the imminence of the return of Jesus. And it's not just the return of Jesus that we have to deal with. It's the, it's the shortness of the lifespan of a person. Now, I don't know, but I guarantee if we just took a poll in here today, I bet every single one of us has said goodbye to a loved one in the last year. Now, I hope that all those people had an opportunity to hear about Jesus. I don't know what we're going to say goodbye to in the next year. I don't know whose days are numbered. All of our days are numbered, really. I wonder, can we afford to be idle in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Whether he returns tomorrow or 2,000 years from now, the amount of time that we have left is very short. The focus on, in Scripture is on the imminence of the return of Jesus Christ and the brevity of life. Jesus is coming. And the number one thing Jesus says about his return is that we should be watching and we should be ready. Now, watching and ready is not passive, it's active. So here's where I'm going to read a portion of Mark 13 to you. This is that passage I was talking about where Jesus' disciples ask him what's going to happen. When is the world going to end? And here's what Jesus says. It's just such a wonderful passage. I encourage you to read Mark 13 later, but here's just a portion of it. Jesus gives this example. He says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Jesus says, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge. So Jesus is that man who goes away, right? Jesus went away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge. That's us. This world is his house and we are his servants. Each with their assigned task. You've been given a task. You've got a job to do, something to accomplish. And tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, watch, watch. And that watching is not passive. It's not passive. Are you idle? Are you idle? Have you been idle with somebody? Have you been waiting for that perfect moment to be able to share the gospel message with them? Have you been waiting for too long? Or are you watching and ready? How would you live today if Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Paul has three connected points in the book of 2 Thessalonians that all center around the return of Jesus. Paul gives hope to those, to those of us who are in the midst of trial and persecution. Victory will come. If not in this time, it will come for sure in the return of Jesus. Paul clarifies the perusia. Jesus is coming. He isn't here yet, but he is coming and everyone will know when he does. And Paul challenges the procrastinators. Jesus' return urges us to press forward. It's urgent. We must not shut down. So how about you? What do you sense that Jesus is saying to you today? Please stand.
We're going to close off by, uh, well, we're going to sing this song together, give you a chance. If uh, the number for texting, I think, is going to flash up on the screen there. If you've had any questions about this message, um, text in. Uh, Pastor and Amy and I uh, will take a couple minutes after this song to try to answer any questions that come in. And uh, yeah, we'll press in together. Let's sing together. We have some, uh, we have a couple of questions. Just one? Perfect. Can we really make a difference if Jesus... Oh, it disappeared. It's on here. It's at the back. Can we really make a difference if Jesus is coming back to change any, everything anyway? Great question. That's a broad question. That is a very broad right. question. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> good. All right. There's, good we're answer. done now. So... Uh, Amy, do you remember, is it in, where is it in Matthew? I should know this. So the Christian Missionary Alliance was founded on the, um, a verse that talks about Jesus coming back and yep. that he, he is going to come back when all the nations yep. here, right? When every single, I think it's in Mark, like, Matthew 24, something like that. I can't. That's a pretty good one because that Matthew 24 talks about Jesus coming back and what it's yeah. going to look like and all that stuff. Yeah, so it might be it. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, um, so there's that passage and there's another passage uh, in one of the epistles. And again, it's not clicking in right now, uh, where Jesus talks about how, how slow, the, the epistle talks about the slowness of God in returning. Mm. And it says that God is not slow as some people understand slowness, but he waits Till everyone hears, because his his desire is that none would perish. He wants everyone to be saved. So his desire is everyone to be saved. Now we know that's not going to happen, because we know that there are people that don't who people who don't know who Jesus is, who have not given their life to Christ, don't get to experience salvation. Right. So there are going to be some that are not saved. But Jesus is waiting for as many people to be saved as possible. Now he has a plan, and he knows when he's coming back again. Um, but we are supposed to be active, right? We're supposed to be active. So what do we do? I'm going to throw this over to you. Okay. I was just like, man, you got this. I'll just sit and nod. And so what's our job waiting until Jesus comes back again? What's our job? You got something for that? I'm, I'm sure I could. No, uh, our job, right. It's kind of basically what you, you talked about this morning Mm -hmm. about our job is to, to tell people about Jesus. Yeah to go out into all the world and make disciples, fulfill the great commission yep. and the great commandment of yeah. loving one another, loving your neighbor, that that's our responsibility is both of those things. Loving, which looks like going out into all the world, telling the good news about Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the only reason that we're still really here. Yep. Is so more and more people can hear about Jesus. Yeah. So that's our job. So every single person has that job of telling all the people around you, as many people as possible, about the love of Jesus Christ so they can understand who he is and come into salvation. Yeah. Anything else to add? No, nothing off the top of my head. Okay. I think that's, pretty, that's a great way to end it, actually, is just that idea. Oh, you have another question. I thought we were just going to end it there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's not going to... I think it's... The way that Scripture describes the return of Jesus, what? 
No, I was just going to say, if we read it out, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yep. I mean, that's kind of the pattern we followed. So yeah, then. yeah. Read so the question. So what do you think it will look like when Jesus comes back? Part two. Do you think Christians, majority or not, will recognize his return? Yeah. yeah. So he's definitely not going to come in secret. Scripture, yeah. the, what it says about what's going to happen when Jesus returns is like cataclysmic stuff happening around the world. Yeah. Right? It's going to be major. And you think about now, some of the things that, that Scripture talks about, maybe even 50 years ago, we kind of wondered, well, how is everybody going to see? Well, nowadays, right? I mean, Jesus is going to show up, and there's going to be like 100 little iPhones on him, right? Recording his every move. So, like, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be huge, and it's going to be, there's going to be stuff happening around the entire world that's going to be major. So people will recognize it. Um, do you want to speak maybe to that first question, what sure. it's going to look like? I mean, the thing is, there's... There's really detailed theological stances on, you know, what it will look like and, you know, the sequence of events. Um, but the thing that I always, when I think about what Jesus, what it will look like, is that passage in Revelation 19, 18 or 19 or 20, in there, when it talks about, like, Jesus coming back, right, like, as coming king, and he's, like, on the horse with a sword, like, tattoo on his thigh, like, just coming as no hiding, no unknown, no, like, oh, did, is he really supreme authority? But it's, like, yeah. he is the supreme authority. He is yep. coming as coming king. He is coming to def- completely finish the job of the spiritual forces, just completely annihilate them. So, I mean, you, right, there's a lot of details you could get into, and there's so many books and all those different things. But what I think it will look like is there's no question anymore who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, yeah. and that's Jesus. Yeah, because in that same passage, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every yeah. tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right, we're going to end it there because that's, that's another great way to end it. So thank you, Amy, for that. And I'm going to read off this benediction here that Paul gives in Second Thessalonians. So why don't you stand, and we'll do this benediction and a blessing. So here's what Paul says after he's talked to the Thessalonians now the second time. And these two books are like, were written within weeks of each other. It's amazing. He sends off the first book of Thessalonians, the first letter, and they get it, and he gets a report right away. They're still scared. They're still worried. And he writes the second letter of Thessalonians almost right away. So he's done these two letters that have spoken about persecution and the coming of Jesus Christ and the procrastinators. And here's how he ends it all. He says, Now may the Lord of peace that peace right? Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Now may the Lord of Peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So Jesus, I just declare peace over your people, your shalom, your completeness, your settledness, your wholeness over your people, Jesus Christ. Be at peace, church. Be at peace. Turn your eyes to Jesus and receive from him peace.
In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.